Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hi, I'm Camilo Patrignani, CEO of Greenwood Energy. One way to keep you constantly up to date on what's happening in Latin America Solar is by listening to this Suncast with my friend Nico Johnson. Hey there, and welcome to episode six of Suncast, the only podcast dedicated to solar professionals in Latin America. My name is Nico Johnson, and I'm so grateful you're joining me today for our weekly conversation with solar industry experts and thought leaders. I believe that personal connections coupled with in-depth market data is the most effective way to stay ahead of the trends. Whether you're listening on your commute, your lunch break, or sneaking it in over the weekend, it's my hope that this show helps give you the tools, insights, and resources to lead the solar revolution in Latin America, the fastest growing solar market in the world. I draw from my own personal experience in Latin America over the last decade working in solar digging up timeless truths and lessons learned along the path with some of the most experienced folks in the biz. Hey, what do you think of this show so far? Am I meeting this commitment? I'm still tweaking the format, release times, little stuff here and there. Today we're releasing on Wednesday instead of Tuesday, for example, as it seems like Wednesday is the day we get most listens during the week. Which do you prefer? Do you care? Fire me an email, nico at mysuncast.com, or drop me a line on the website, Tweet me at Nico Mayo, or perhaps one of my favorite platforms, which many of you have already done, reach out on LinkedIn. Hey, thanks to all who showed your undying devotion by jumping through the hoops to enter into our $100 gift card drawing. The winner, as mentioned last week, is Mr. Gabriel Goffman, a young solar developer right here in Miami. Thanks for being a supporter, Gabe, and thank you to everyone else as well. Today on Suncast, we chat with Lamberto Camacho of Solaire Direct. Lamberto has done solar development all over the world, and we get into detail about what he's learned from Namibia to Panama. This week is a little longer of an episode, but hey, no apologies because it is chock full of good information. Hope you stick around till the end as we bring back Hot or Not, and Lamberto gets specific about which markets he thinks are primed up or primed to bust. You see, I want you to learn from the successes of those who've gone before you. I'll try to tease out details on market development as well as tips to improve your approach no matter what market you're in. Let's dive in. Today, I'm really glad to have my good buddy Lamberto Camacho on the show. Lamberto is the managing director of Solar Direct's Mexico and Central America business. I've known Lamberto for a while, and he truly is one of those developers who has a grasp on the soup to nuts pieces of how solar really comes together. And if you are looking for how to enter into a solar market and win early, Go look nowhere else but Lamberto Camacho. Lamberto, thanks for joining the show today. Is the sun shining where you are? It always is. I'm in beautiful Tijuana, Mexico. Aha, Tijuana. uh, So thank you for having me on. I I do appreciate it. And I I do appreciate being the the, the second consecutive Tijuanense on your show. I think uh, you had Edgar on last week. That's right. Uh, We come from the same neighborhood. So uh, that's a good representation of of my hometown. Thanks for uh, having me on today. I, I do appreciate it. Absolutely. There's something about uh, you Tijuanenses, man. You guys have, uh, you, you breed good project developers. Yeah, we all leave uh, Tijuana at some point 
quickly and then come back <laughs> eventually. But yeah, it's, it's a good place to jump into a foreign market, right? So you're next to uh, the U.S. and everyone speaks English and it's a great place to uh, start your, your business education in, uh, in any industry. But solar has been, has been nice. That's, a, that's actually an interesting place that I'd like to begin. Did you start your business in the solar industry? I know you've had quite a varied uh, international experience. Could you tell us a little bit about your background and what ultimately brought you around to solar and where you kind of cut your teeth? Oh, uh, yeah, that's actually a, a fun story to tell. Uh, so I used to be in supply chain uh, a long time ago with IBM out of school, opened up my own, uh, my own company where we did global logistics. I was in, in, on the East Coast in D.C. after school, and I had a bunch of friends that were mostly military guys. We used to sit around a table you know, for, for dinner and drinks once a month, come up with, uh, with business plans. And you know, we, we were in the middle of, of the war, the Iraqi war, and you know, we, we were all sort of development, international-minded, and we came up with, with a business plan to go off and, and build these diesel displacement systems for the U.S. military. So we went off and got a grant almost about nine years ago, actually, um, where we sat down and manufactured these man portable and, and, and helicopter portable renewable energy systems that were you know, solar and actually wind powered as well with battery backup. And we put them in the field. We took them to uh, the national parks in the U.S. We, Great. So you're building these renewable systems that were intended to displace the need for getting diesel into the field. Sure, because you, you had an LCOE of diesel you know, back then. What's LCOE? Uh, levelized cost of energy. So, so, you, so you're, 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 you're all in cost from getting, um, you know, a gallon of, of diesel from the National Strategic Reserve in the U.S. to, to a Ford operating base in, in, you know, Kandahar province was 100 bucks, right? And per shipment, you would lose, you know, two people, two soldiers would get, would get killed getting, getting uh, diesel to, to the field. So our first experience was, was with the XFOB, uh, the Experimental Ford Operating Base Program with the, uh, the Marines over in Quantico getting these systems deployed to the field, which, you know, we, we did well, uh, but this was during the period of the, the era funding where, you know, it, was, it wasn't the most efficient way to, to, to do business, manufacturing humongous solar rigs to go deploy in, 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 into war zones. <laughs> but, you know, we cut our teeth on, on that, and it was, it was a fun experience, which led us into doing similar solutions for, for other emerging markets. So we were, we were doing, the, the, again, the, the solar displacement I mean, the diesel, diesel displacement uh, business model in, in Africa. So we, we, we pivoted from being in, in rural areas in the U.S., like uh, national parks, and being out in, in you know, potentially in, in war zones to, to going into, into more developed regions of Africa and trying to displace cell phone tower diesel generators, mm. uh, which there were a quarter million of and was, was one of the largest polluters in, in, in the region. So we had some success there. And then sort of by, by uh, I would say, just natural progression, uh, we became uh, utility-skilled developers. So, um, you know, my first iteration as a developer was, was in Southern Africa, in the static region, um, which is, you know, uh, South Africa, Namibia, Botswana, Zimbabwe, um, doing, you know, first small projects and then getting into, you know, larger 5 megawatt-ish projects. And we were the first... The first uh, renewable IPP in, in some of those countries, we, we actually helped define some of the some of the IPP laws in some of those countries. So it was it wasn't too long ago, but it was ancient times by by solar. <laughs> and when you say uh, renewable, what sort of technologies were you deploying? 
in utility scale, it was always just PV, right? When we were doing doing a diesel displacement work, um, it was a a hybrid system solution where we had, um, you know, mostly PV with some micro wind, with some diesel backup, with some battery bank uh, integration. So it was kind of a Swiss army knife solution uh, technology-wise. But again, what it did was give us sort of our bona fides in some of those countries as being uh, at times the only people operating in those countries in renewables. So when it, came, when it came time for, let's say, like Namibia to to decide they wanted to get into uh, large scale solar, we were basically it. You know, this is pre um, uh, round one in South Africa for their tender. This, there was nothing there at this point. Um, so we, we were one of the only ones you know, alongside folks like Solar Reserve that were you know in that market. Um, so, so yeah. Lamberto, how did you pivot from deploying these uh, these grid displacement products? to doing solar IPP work in Africa. And then also I'd like to understand how you chose Africa over another region and the specific countries you went into in Africa. Can you help me understand a little bit about your the, the thought process that goes into that? Absolutely. So in terms of, of how you how you pivot from product to development, um, it was pretty simple, right? So we, we had... Uh, exhausted a a product set, so we said, hey, we're 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 building these things. Do we want to keep building these things because the the cost to build these 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 machines, this equipment, uh, was pretty high, and we had some subsidies from the U.S. government to do so. Um, but as we were winding that down, the option was, hey, you know, do do we double down on on equipment um, and try to get into uh, you know more into that space. Uh, which folks like Zero Base, the guys that that the Henry um, used to run, uh, did, or or do we pick um, what, what at the moment we thought was a more opportunistic approach to saying, hey, we're already here in these countries. We've established a presence. Um, there, there's there's a scalability to be had if if we're able to pivot from equipment to development. Um, and you know, we, we decided that the, the, the best business move and the best way to, to impact in the in the industry was to switch from selling stuff to to getting into development, right? Um, and, and I know what that feels like. Yeah, yeah. So, so <laughs> most module guys know who who got into de- development. You go from selling something, and your impact is is limited to to your customer. Um, to being able to develop projects where your impact is, is unlimited, right? So um, for, for mm-hmm. us, that, that was the option. And, and we had some really good markets staked out. To, to your next question, you know, which countries and how do you choose where to go? Um, you know, you, you have to consider the, the risk of each market that you're entering. So fortunately, um, in Southern Africa, <clears throat> it's a very different region than, than the rest of the continent. Um, you know, there's, there's stable governments, there's bankable off-takers, there, um, you know, there's industry that, that, that's been around for a long time, especially in, in, in the Southern Cone, um, you know, again, Namibia, Botswana, South Africa, uh, sometimes Zimbabwe, if, if Mugabe isn't too crazy. Um, but, but for us, it was, it was really, you know, focusing on, on countries where, where the banks were, were going to play in that sandbox and where the investors weren't going to feel scared. Uh, and, we had, and we had a good, a good deep bench of investors that, that followed us around on some of these projects. Um, that helped us, you know, uh, identify uh, which which markets were, were less risky. So um, it really was um, a, a, a development 101 primer for us to to, to get into um, again markets that no one ever had ever heard of. Right. So if you ask somebody where, where Namibia was uh, eight years ago, they would have told you, you know, what, is that on Earth? Right. No, no one. Had, <laughs> had, and, you, and you said that you went uh, places where you knew banks were willing to get in. How did you know banks were willing to get in if nobody had heard of these places? 
because they're bankable sovereigns. So if you, so if, if you look at you know the, the, the credit rating of, of the sovereign, you sit there and say, hey, you know, Moody's thinks that they're a triple E plus. They, they must be doing things right. So mm-hmm. they're 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 not you know uh, running massive deficit spending. They're not running um, you know a, a a devaluation you know type currency. That they're 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 stable politically. So so you know so some of these metrics give you a good indication of the the whole risk of the country because you know political risk in Africa is going to bleed into economic risk pretty quickly right if mm-hmm. you active civil war if you're sitting in Cote d'Ivoire or, or Liberia uh, you know you did you know, you'll never get a loan for a for a, de- for a development project from from a standard bank um, because the, the political risk is too high but if you sit in in, in South Africa. You've got some political risk, but that's priced into into the market, and you've got a bankable sovereign, and it's it's all good. Um, so so it's, it's pretty. It's not, it's not hard to to figure out which markets are credit worthy. What's hard is once everyone finds out that those markets are are both credit worthy and and open to to do business in certain industries, then everyone's running to the same markets, and then it becomes a matter of managing expectations. Right. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. Do you feel like there was one thing uh, or a couple of things that you guys did really well in those early days that both contributed to success and also helped prepare you for what you're doing now? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you you still see it, but what you what you used to see a lot of was the the, the grand announcement, right? We're going to build a gigawatt in, in in you know Shlamibia, and it's going to be great. <laughs> And you're like, man, if you put a gigawatt of solar on that grid, you're going to blow it up, right? And, and you see announcements nowadays um, of other developers making similar statements in Latin America or the countries. And in Africa. In Africa. And, you know, you realize how unrealistic and how unsophisticated those folks are. Um, so I think the one thing we learned was, one, keep it realistic because if, if you don't, you lose credibility because there, there, there's always folks out there who know more than you do about – the, the, the technical capacity of, of a grid or the ability to build large-scale systems um, in, in, you know, impacted um, grids. Uh, so it's just, it's, it's a matter of keeping it realistic and ensuring that your investors uh, understand that there's, there's a limit to a market. There's a limit to what you, you, you'll be able to do. There's a limit to um, the, the folks in a market that are going to be able to assist you. So if you're looking to, to the utility to help you, you know, integrate a hundred megawatt project into their grid. Um, there's there's limitations to, the, to their capability because they just don't know how to do it yet. Um, so managing expectations and keeping them keeping them realistic is super critical because if you don't, uh, the only way the only way from there is down, right? In terms of expectations, and, and that that's not fun. Um, so so you know pivoting to Mexico, I think when I first um, decided to, to to be done with Africa because I was just done with Africa. I wanted to be, I wanted to go home. Um, you know, Mexico seemed like a good market, and you know, I went to the first Murek. I, I'm not, I, I think I think you were there too. 2012, yeah. Oh yeah. So I went to the first Murek in 2012. I had gone to to a couple of meetings in like 2010, um, and you know, everyone seemed to to, to think that Mexico was going to be it, right? And it, the same kind of pronouncements you heard when you were in Africa, which is, oh my God, we're going to build 100 megawatts here and there and there and there, and then you talk to the authorities and and with well, the utility crees and I say. Uh, and CFA, and you know they, they obviously have a different uh, idea of how their grid is going to operate versus you just plugging in as much intermittency as, as you can possibly uh, you know get 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 finance into their into their grid. Um, so my, my my lesson learned from Africa was that you've got to be able to balance the expectations of your investors with the realities that the grid is going to give you, and be able to have a relationship with the the people that run the grid. Uh, to a point where they'll, they'll have buy-in because if they're not buying into what you're you're trying to pitch uh, from a development perspective, you're never going to build it. 
right? right? You may have as much goodwill behind you from an investment perspective, but all you're going to do is have ticked off investors because you can't deliver because the grid's scared of you, right? So I have, I think you, you and I have talked about this. Those are, I mean, this is really good information, Lamberto. And you and I have talked a bit, well, we've talked a lot about specific keys of development. One of the things that you taught me, Lamberto, I'm curious if you'd share I, you know, got into my development uh, uh, through selling product kind of like you and thought uh, that you could really learn a lot from local people who were trying to sell you projects. That was sort of the naivete of my of my early days, if you will. And you were one of the first to say, hey, Nico, who have you met with at the government level? Right. Can you tell me a little bit about from your market entry strategy, why that's important? You touched on it a lot right there in, in, in your in the lead up to this. But I'm curious and where, uh, where interaction as a developer with government officials is helpful and where it's hurtful? Um, you know, I, I, that's a very good question um, because it, it is, um, I think for me, um, one of the big lessons learned it, because it, it is very market specific, right? So, so for, let's take it first from a local partner perspective, right? So mm -hmm. local partners are important, um, but, but the, the structure and the, the flavor of local partners um, is very important market by market. So if you're in a very small, closed market, if you're sitting in, um, you know, Guatemala or Honduras or or Salvador, uh, and sometimes Panama or, or small countries where where you know the, the typical five families run the whole shebang, and and right. um, you know the the grid may be you know kind of teetering, but there, there there's some pre there's some privatization in, in, in distribution or transmission, so that there, there's there's possibilities doing projects. Local partners there are very important because everything is run and and, and in kind of a who do you know kind of environment. Um, they're not going to bring you much in terms of technical know-how, right? Um, even even the grid operators themselves aren't going to give you a lot to work with from a technical perspective. So, it's, right. but what you're looking for is is pure market entry, which is hey, you know, this guy knows this guy, and they've done this before, this kind of project. So you've got sort of a, you know your hands on people who can who can help you who help facilitate entry uh, into land um, acquisition, into maybe some of the permatology. Uh, portions of the process, uh, you know, some some of the dealings with um, the, the the bureaucracy and getting some of these permits and licenses, um, you know, unstuck when they get unstuck because they always get stuck. Um, so, <laughs> so in those markets, those, those kind of folks work very well, right? Um, as a co-developer or as an originator, um, fine, you know that that's great. But when you're dealing in more sophisticated markets, where 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 now, you know, as larger companies that you and I work with. Um, you know, the the value in local partner is is in, in his or her sophistication, right? So if I'm going to go into a tender in Mexico or Peru or Brazil, um, I'm not really worried about who the guy knows, right? I'm worried about like what he knows, you know, how, yeah. what's his technical uh, knowledge? How you know how can he help complement my pricing assumptions into the tender? How can he help you know bolster some of my 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 my, my deal team that I've already have assembled? Uh, for each market, you know, how can he help me with the banks if I need some sort of local finance uh, component or local um, uh, content component? Mm -hmm. You know, th th and at that level, you know, the guys that check those boxes are going to be also sophisticated businesses. And, and you're, you're, you're sort of past the, you know, Juanito and company into, you know, you know, past the guy, you know, that knows a guy, to a company that's well run and that can that can help you both in financing and in technical know how and and getting deal structured and 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 those are rare birds to find. Yeah. Uh, but but you know, in each market, you're you're going to need them, right? Uh, otherwise, you just you land into a market, 
you uh, you assume a lot of the the inputs that, that are going to make up your your, your cost model, uh, and more often than not, those those assumptions are, are wrong, right? And and you know if you're if you're bidding into a, a tender, you have to be you know as as accurate as possible on, on the pricing side because you know that 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 uh, the risk you put by putting in your your bid bonds and and structuring your your offer, if you do it wrong, you know you're going to get caught. Uh, pretty badly upside down, and, and and I think you've seen that. You know, we saw it in in Panama, where some people just just hmm. did, um, uh, you know, we, we, weirdly. <laughs> I think yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a way to put it. Uh, and you see it now in in Mexico, where you talk to folks and and ask about their bid strategies, and and you and you're thinking, wow, you know, uh, how how are you thinking this through in terms of, um, you know, the the the, the your, your model and, and and the assumptions on. On the tail of the project after 15 years, and, and how you're pricing in some of the risks that are still not known yet in terms of, of, of price adjustments, and in terms of the the, the zones that they're going to assign you in, in, at, at the at the Sinasa level. So there, there's a lot of different things that um, I think are, are are unknowns that that sophisticated local partners that have experience on the grid, have experience with the banks, have experience uh, in in technical aspects of, of a generation project. You know, don't focus on solar, but just in generation in general. Are going to allow you to de-risk portions of that financial model to give you better price clarity to be able to compete. Otherwise, you're you're shooting in the dark, and, and that's going to bite you. Yeah, and that's specific to. Uh, thank, I appreciate you uh, bringing this right to one of the topics that we want to talk about today, specific to the public tender process, right? So, uh, one of the things that uh, that folks might not be so aware of. Uh, and I'll you know, brag on Lamberto a little bit here, and I'll let him brag on himself uh, if he chooses to. But you know, Lamberto submitted the only successful, and by successful I mean now contracted, uh, bid into the Panama tender. And for anyone who's been following the Panama market, last November there was a tender for 60 megawatts AC that was awarded to four or five different uh, entities, or four or five different, let's call them uh, special purpose vehicles. Uh, all in all, it was uh, it came down to about three companies. And Solar Direct was the only company who finally uh, wrote a contract, and, is, and it's in the process of financing and going to build uh, the, the first portion of that. Um, and it speaks to uh, Solar's, Solar Direct's history in general. You guys were the first to finance and build a merchant plant in Chile, you know, so I look to some of the work that you're doing in Latin America uh, personally and also with Solar Direct, who has a great history doing uh, sort of emerging market projects for understanding of how I go to market, how I understand the market. Would you be willing to speak to stuff that's not proprietary, sort of your secret sauce about how you get ready to look at a market? How did, why did you know Panama was going to be the first place you would want to jump into, I, I and yeah, thank you for that, Nico. Yeah, I, I think um, you know our, our experiences in, in Panama um, haven't been unique, um, but obviously um, you know it, it was eye-opening um, from uh, from a process perspective. But yeah, I mean, just just in terms of how we got into it, there's nothing really, there's no secret sauce about it, right? So you you look at you look at first, and it goes back to my experiences in 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 Africa. You look at the the country itself. You say, yeah, Panama is is the only bankable sovereign in Central America by itself. Um, you look at uh, and when you say sorry, when you say sovereign, what do you mean there? Just to un, just so, to so understand. So the government of Panama has right, okay, has a has a a 
uh, a, a bankable credit rating from from the rating agencies, right? Right. So um, that would be like the sovereign debt of the co- the company of or the country of yeah, Panama. exactly. So so okay. if you look at it, you know, next to like uh, Honduras or Nicaragua, where where they don't, um, you know, you, you can you can you can invest um, in in infrastructure projects um, in Panama um, without having to to over uh, you know. Uh, had an over, overly complex financial structure, right? Um, financing structure. So, so we we looked at Panama in, in that sense. And then, secondly, we saw the growth. Um, so, in terms of, of GDP growth, uh, demand uh, growth in the electricity sector, um, in terms of, of the expansion plan on the grid, all, all things that are public, right? So, you say, you know, this this was like, a, like an attractive market because they have a lot more people who are who are who are are, are you know growing their 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 industry in Panama. You have um, a, a generation base, a generation of electricity base that, that's growing, uh, that's that's being stabilized. You have an actual um, you know, market. So there's an electricity market in, in Panama since 1997, I believe it is, right? So you, you've had... And you're referring, well, you're referring to the wholesale market. Yeah, the wholesale market. So right. the wholesale market in Panama has been around for you know, t- almost 20 years, yep. um, which, which gives you a good track record in terms of pointing at, at how their pricing mechanisms have worked in terms of of the stability of that of that market, um, or lack of stability in that market. Um, so, so at least you have a, a good baseline to, to judge um, what that market's going to do. You know it's growing. You know that, that, that the trend line for growth is still there, even though it may not be as aggressive as it's been in the last few years. But it's still there. Um, you know, you, you know that there's still a, a lack of of, of of capacity in that market. Um, so, so new capacity is welcome. So you take all those things into consideration. You say, you know, where am I going to go next, right? And then they say, well, we're, we're going to do a tender. So you're looking at the market. They, they, they announce a tender. So you say, yeah, that, that's where I'm going to go. It, it's actually, it was actually a, a no-brainer for us. Mm. Um, you know, if, if you look at a tender in in Brazil, uh, you say, man, these guys have um, been trying to crack that nut for 10 years. It's been a disaster every time. You know, things look better now, um, mm. but I, I walk in a lot more hesitantly than I will walk into Panama, where it's a smaller market. The rules were very clear. Um, the uh, the participants were very clear. Um, you know, the, the risk was was pretty you know mitigated, um, but by the rules of of, of the tender. Uh, you know, we, we were very comfortable walking into that tender. Yeah, let me, I'm going to dig a little deeper there. So <laughs> <laughs> appreciate the appreciate you being open to that, and you can tell me when to stop. I am curious, how long before the tender were you in Panama and looking for a local partner um, and and figuring out what your bid strategy should be for the tender? Now, the cool thing about Panama is that the development costs for um, for projects is you know. Uh, ridiculously low, right? So, in terms of putting something into the into the tender, the cost was securing a a um, a, a site and getting a, a pre feasibility sort of um, license, so you could throw it into the tender, um, which gives you also risk, right? So, sure, you identify a local partner, but really the the market doesn't understand renewables or intermittency very well anyway. So, local partner isn't going to help you overcome a lot of the technical constraints in that market. So you have to deal with those yourselves, yourself and try to try to walk the government uh, past some of those things yourself because they're, they're, they're not experienced in, 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 in dealing with some of the issues that, that solar bring to, the, to a grid. Um, they may think they know, but you know, uh, you know, the reality is, is sometimes different. Um, so, so for us, it was, it was um, not the local partner. Um, it was getting the, the the building blocks right, which was, and we had we had a good local partner, but it was it was getting the the the, the site secure, 
and getting uh, a good place on the node that we're trying to get into and getting the prefeasibility report. But, but ultimately, you know, the, the, the lack of, of maybe barriers to entry is sometimes a dangerous thing, right? So if you mm-hmm. think what's going to happen in Mexico, there's going to be a massive, you know, piece of, of literature <laughs> to, to get through to understand, you know, h- how to get into, into, that, into that tender, uh, which zones are going to be the more, the more um, uh, I guess, uh, amenable appealing. Appealing, mm-hmm. um, to, to a developer, how pricing is going to fluctuate and be adjusted um, within within each of those zones, so there's a, there's a lot, and, and then the the the, the bid bond they're going to ask for is going to be stratospheric, right? So 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 there's a lot of barriers to entry, but once you get in there, at least you know that they they de-risked most of the transmission risk, most of uh, you know the the participant risk. You're not going to have wild cards in there disrupting the market because the the ask for the for the bid bond is going to be so high to clear out most of the little guys and leave the big boys in there, right? What are we talking? I mean, in millions of dollars to bid, put one bid in. Sure, I mean it's it's, it's going to be you know 100 megawatts you know in the, in the tens of millions of dollars. Yeah, wow. So it's it's going to be from from what I understand, right? But it's, it's going to be a significant barrier to entry um, to get into these into these these tenders, which is fine, right? So you say, please make it higher, um, mm. because what you don't want is what, what's happened in other tenders, um, where people just throw you know stuff against the wall, and you're sitting there trying to compete against. What you know is an unrealistically low number, uh, right. but someone just you know carry the one wrong on their spreadsheet, um, <laughs> and you're sitting there going, man, like you you, you know you you really put pressure on everybody else to come in with unrealistic expectations. Um, so so for one, you know a, a, the Panama specific model let let us walk in there and let us you know easily put uh, a project into the tender, but then it, it, it places all of the risk after the fact. To deal with you as a developer to try to try to mitigate that risk, right? So, so transmission, distribution, uh, you know, interconnection risk, all you know, all of the technical risks in the grid. Trying to figure out a, a grid code that really isn't, um, you know, really meant for that for for that country. You know, all all of those those risks come after the fact. So you know, you you walk through that and you and you begin to you know to address them and, and resolve them and you know and you do that right because it, it's ultimately it's it's not it's not a, a, a huge um, deal, and you know, you're, just, you know, you're just dealing with in, in, with time and, and technical solutions, and it, and it works out fine. Uh, but you're dealing with all that risk yourself. Whereas if if you're if you're in a in a market where a lot of that is addressed um, very 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 detailed uh, initially, it's a pain to, to to get through the tender process. But once you do, at least you know that you've solved some of that some of that risk, right? Uh, and, you, and you're able to to, to be more comfortable. In, in how that market's going to evolve. Got it. So as a developer, where is the where's the point of demarcation for you of, hey, I'm going to go really spend a lot of time and money and effort and possibly come up with nothing in this public tender versus, gosh, there's all this industry in Latin America that's paying over 25, 30 cents a kilowatt hour in many cases, and in, in lots of cases uh, for the bigger industry, definitely north of 15 cents a kilowatt hour, and, and just going and finding private off-takers. Where do you see the balance there? Let's stay on Mexico. How, how sustainable is that pricing structure in the long term? Right? Because you, you know, you're, look, you're looking at a, at a, at a PPA on a, on, a, on a 20-year basis, and if you say, you know, I'm, I'm going to offer – you know, a, a 12 cent uh, kilowatt hour PPA to, to these a, a HM um, uh, tariff customers in Mexico, the uh, the the you know uh, mid-sized industrial offtake. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Um, and at the same time, the market's going to add, you know, a few gigawatts of, of super low cost generation in the next three years, right? So that, that's going to impact um, the, the entire costing structure of, of that market. So in, 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 in three years, your, your PPA may not be competitive anymore. Right, and if that happens, what what are you going to do with your customer? Are you going to try to are they going to try to renegotiate or renege on that contract? Right, which is why it's been so hard in Mexico to to sign long term PPAs because people are sitting there saying, well, you know, the the the, the CTCP, you know, the, the 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 cost of production, the the you know the, the merchant equivalent in in Mexico right. has been plummeting, and God knows why it's been plummeting, but it's been plummeting, and now it's kind of coming back a little bit. Um, you know, there's, there's there's volatility in that market, so I don't want to I don't really want to want to sign a 20 year PPA, right? So so you've you've had a lot of that happen. You had a lot of interest in the market saying, yeah, we're, we're going to come in there, close PPA, this is going to be great. They pay too much money right now anyway, and then when they're done, you know, you're done structuring these deals. The market is not where it was when you first started, and now you're trying to chase um, a lower and lower return. And at some point, your investors who thought they were going to get, you know. A thousand percent ARR back from your deals are looking at fifteen percent or whatever the, the the threshold is for your investor and say, whoa, 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 this is not what I wanted to invest in in the first place. Right. And they bail, right? So, so it's so if if that's where you begin and now you're chasing lower and lower returns, at some point you're not going to be aligned with your investors. So if if you're if you come in saying there's going to there's going to be thin thin margins anyway because that that's where market's going to go to, we're going to bid in knowing what the margins are going to be. My investors are aligned with with those expectations. Then you've got you know, a lot less uncertainty in, in terms of, of you know if if your if your offer comes in at this that or that cents a kilowatt hour, um, you know at least you know that you're in the parameters where your, your investors are, are going to run away spook. Um, but if you're doing bilateral PPAs, you know you've really got to manage the expectations of your investors as well as your your your, your buyers, right? Um, and in Mexico, people are expecting emerging market returns, and mm. what you're seeing nowadays is is, is 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 something much different than that. I I completely agree. You know, I also uh, I think that you at uh, at Solar Direct and uh, particularly the way that you guys invest and look at projects, um, you have a particular strategy that we we won't get into on on the show, but you have a strategy that really looks at how to minimize costs both on the finance and the construction side so that you have a nice stable, uh, we'll call it base of production uh, value. And then you can be risky in other areas because you have a global portfolio. Uh, I think that it's different for each different investor, each investor and each developer. Obviously, one of the things that I uh, appreciate about the different uh, style of conversations that we tend to have is your view specifically that we'll call it the, the private offtaker market is destined to end up reneging on their contracts or, or that they, uh, the, because, because that's, that's certainly a naysayer, uh, uh, pardon this, certainly a naysayer, um, uh, position in the industry where by and large people tend to be in this, uh, utopia or euphoria perhaps that, uh, consumer prices are going to continue to increase into perpetuity at a certain escalation per year, and there's no new energy mix that will impact that, right? No, I mean, and, and that, that's unrealistic. If, if that's your expectation, uh, if that's your business model, then you're, you're going to lose, right? So you, you've, you've got to understand that, that you know, the solar industry is also dri is driving efficiency and they're, they're driving costs downward, but that, that, that then leads into um, the, the overall market, especially the, the, the bigger piece of the market that we own as, as solar solar um, you know IPPs or solar developers 
that's going to impact the cost structure of the, of the entire grid. Um, and, as, and as that happens, you know, obviously, the, 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 especially in Mexico, right, the utility is now looking at us to provide them with low-cost electricity to get right. against us when they go and, and sell it to their consumers. Right, so so it's it's going to be it, there is going to be an, an, an adjustment down on 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 pricing, and it, it's not going to be an artificial you know black hand type thing like you've seen in some of those markets. It's going to be the market trending downward based on install capacity and and and, and our costs that, that that keep pushing that 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 install capacity LCOE down. Right, so so certainly, and in developed markets, you have to keep in mind that what we are offsetting it specifically is the energy that keeps the historically high prices high, Absolutely. which is that peak energy used by, you know, peaker plants and bunker fuel plants that will otherwise, they will be, uh, they will be offloaded. They will be curtailed or they will be, uh, it's at some point they will tw have a twilight and they won't be renewed in terms of contracting. There will be LNG and PV and eventually storage that brings the baseline generation, even at peak to a lower cost structure. Yeah. There's actually, there's a, there's a, a competing podcast of yours. Um, the uh, the energy gang guys over in uh, I think Green Tech that have had one last week where where it was about you know at a certain point there's a there's a penetration percentage in the market for solar where the next megawatt that you install has mm -hmm. no, has no more there's no more accretion in value right because you you saturated on a from a cost perspective what that what that grid's going to be able to absorb um, and that's it right so so at, at that point you're 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 not creating more more value for yourself as a as a developer because you've reached that saturation point in terms of of, of of the, the, the cost uh, of production. That's uh, very interesting. I, I would consider a, it a compliment that in any way I'm competing against Steven and uh, Jigger and the Energy Gang, so thank you. But I think it's a complimentary podcast because they go way beyond just solar. I agree, I agree. I, agree. So, but I, <laughs> I stick to their, their solar stuff because they, they, they lose me at, at, at storage. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, so I think, I think in, uh, in terms of our strategy, going back to the point you made just quickly, um, it's, again, it's not rocket science. So, so all we try to do is de-risk and, and, and industrialize the process, right? So you de-risk capital, you de-risk the, the processes by understanding um, how the grids are structured, um, how, how the, the payments are gonna be structured from your off-takers, um, you know, understanding the risk of the entire project from, from origination through to the, to the, the maintenance of the system, the management of the asset, you know, and every, everywhere in between, including the financing, and our own equity stake in the project. So you you you, are, you understand each piece of the development, and then you 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 minimize risk from each of those portions. And then you know on on the on the construction side, you know you're obviously being as aggressive as as the market permits you um, to bring costs down. Um, but I think it's like I said at the beginning of the of the, of the discussion, it's about de-risking it enough where your cost of capital is low enough to allow you to bring the project in at a price where you can compete with not just other solar, but with, with, with other traditional generation, right? And, and, and that's our publicly stated uh, business uh, model, which is make solar competitive. So which is why we shy away from subsidized markets, which where we see as, as risk, right? So if anywhere where something props up your price, there's a risk for that prop to fall back down, right? So we, we, we issue um, you know those, those, those sort of markets. We 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 press down on, on our on our pricing structure uh, with our, our vendors because you know as far as the market allows you, obviously. Uh, but more than that, it's de-risking the, the the capital that comes into financial projects, and and that allows you to be much more dynamic in how you how you price your offerings. Lamberto, you are 
clearly an expert in this space, <laughs> and uh, and I couldn't I couldn't have asked for uh, more concise and clear answers than that. Thank you very much. I'm going to segue now into a section, uh, the segment that I call learning and leadership. Can you tell me what are a couple of books, blogs, just tools or tricks that you sort of personally use that you've discovered lately or, or are timeless for you that have impacted the way you understand the market and share how they've impacted? You know, uh, I'm, I'm going to be sort of the, 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 the bad guy in this. You know, I, I tend to, to, to shy away from, from uh, most, of the, most of the books in, in our industry out there. I, I listen to your podcast, obviously, because it's, 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 it's fantastic. I listen to, to the Green Tech Media guys. Um, but more than that, man, I mean, I, I'm a student of, of, of history uh, rather, rather in, intensely. Um, and, you know, my, 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 my university, um, you know, uh, background is, is, is political science and economics. Um, so so I, I really try to keep the lessons from, from what I know in history and keep studying the history about each country that I do business in. Because um, it's very important to, to keep, you know, your, 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 your finger on that pulse. But more than that, man, it's just being informed. And I think you do a hell of a job in, in that sense, in, in keeping relationships um, very fresh, understanding who's, who's, who's who in each market, uh, and, and reaching mm -hmm. out to those folks actively and asking the questions, right? Hey, you know, what, what's happening in your market? You know, how, how are things more complicated or not complicated now versus a year ago? Um, and, and really re keeping up on, on the boring legislative stuff that churns out, right? So when, when the, the, uh, the, uh, the new rules came out for the market in Mexico, when the uh, manuales came out for the, for the market, you know, it's, it's dense, just legal stuff that you, you know, you, you want to shoot yourself after, after the four hours of reading it. Uh, but you do it because you have to, right? because, because the next day everyone's read it and you have to be on top of your game. Right. Yeah. So I think it's, it's reaching out to the stakeholders that write that policy and, and making, making sure that they're the folks that, that know who you are and you know who they are. And then when they get fired, um, you know, you know who the replacement is. Uh, when the new president comes in, you know who's who is the new team that that's going to be working on this this stuff. And then secondly, uh, but I think more more importantly, is being up to speed on just the 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 boring legislative, regulatory, legal stuff that churns out of the Congress and churns out of the the, the various secretari secretariats um, that you know every 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 energy wonk in each country uh, reads up on the, the following day. So you you've got to be able to to follow that that conversation because it, it is. Very important, especially in in, in, in tender-driven markets like Panama, Mexico, Brazil, and, and Peru. Um, you've got to know, you know, what's changed from yesterday to today in terms of how, how the market pools have been structured. So, you know, I, I literature-wise, you know, I, I think it's it's I keep up on the I keep up on the headlines more more than anything else. I keep up on the on the financial headlines. So when 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 companies are, are doing well, like for Solar a couple of days ago, or or, or doing not so well as other companies. Uh, in the in the recent past, you want to understand, you know, what macro um, uh, trends are are at play there, right? So that so that you can be thinking about those macro trends when you make decisions, uh, because you know one of the things you have to be aware of is that the decisions you make in the field on on where to go in terms of projects and and, and where you're going to start doing your next thing and how big it is and um, you know what kind of risk you'll assume, all of that really is going to impact significantly. Uh, the markets, especially if you work for for, for a larger firm, um, so you need to be aware that the, the risk you're assuming 
um, you know, are in line with what the market is telling you is either acceptable or not acceptable based on, on where it's been moving the last, you know, few months. So, you know, when, when you see pops or, or, or big hits on companies in, in the market, you really want to know why um, and, and, and how that's going to change the way you do business. Yeah, thank you for that. Lamberto, you have had a, a wonderful, varied, and uh, by I think by many standards, successful career. I'm curious if you've been able to think through what one thing, or maybe what, what comes to mind now, what one thing, thing do you consistently do that yields the greatest impact in your personal and professional life? Whew, Nico. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I, I like to think it's, it's keeping um, a sense of humor. Um, because the, 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 big, the biggest thing that, that, you know, especially lately, um, for, for me is there's, there's going to be a lot of pressure when, once you get past the development and, and the, uh, the origination development project and you get into building it out. Um, it's, it's pretty, um, stressful, right? Um, I'm, I'm sorry, Lamberto, I'm literally almost in tears over here laughing because I know the story. <laughs> I wish we had time to share on the podcast some of the stories that that inform the answer you're giving right now. But yeah, it's not to shape it so, so, so that I don't, I don't get sued or fucked. <laughs> but I if I and I can edit some some stuff out if for some reason I I just remember. Uh, you know, it, it's so true. Lamberto's sense of humor is one of the best I've I've ever encountered in hyper stressful situations. I'll never forget seeing you in Panama and literally you were like, dude, if, uh, if, uh, if you don't hear from me in 24 hours, <laughs> something went terribly wrong. I'm, I'm, you're like, I'm going to flee the country. <laughs> uh, you know, I think unfortunately in, in some of these, uh, some of these experiences, either you laugh or you cry, right? Because and it's, you know what? And beyond the joke, it's important to keep perspective, dude. I mean, I, I think it's very important. You know, it, it is fun. Um, but there's going to be situations where, where, you know, you think it's the end of the world, right? Where the project, it's all going to fall apart. The project is, is in shambles. Everyone hates you. Um, and, and it, that, that happens on a weekly basis, right? So it's, 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 a, it's a matter of saying, okay, you know, we, 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 we got through this once. We'll get through it again. Um, and keep your head about you and keep your, keep, keep your sense of humor. Because if you don't, um, you'll become... Uh, like like many of the empty shadows I know in the industry walking in the halls. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> very, Indeed. Very, very uh, stress-consumed. And yeah. I, I've got to keep remembering that because, um, you know, the, the more you get into some of these projects and these markets, uh, the more uh, stress you assume. And it's, I think it's a, it's a matter of really uh, keeping that in perspective. And yeah. I, I think it's a great job of that, too. I, I think, you know, family is important and, and being able to, to, to keep that strong um, because it, it is – you know, once you log, you know, once you log your hundred thousandth actual mile in the in the sky for a year, you're like, geez, what am I doing? Um, you know, it's it's just very important to 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 keep that in perspective. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I've always appreciated about you as well is that you do have a keen focus on spending time with your family and and carving that out. I'm looking at a, a band that's on my arm that I've been wearing uh, recently that just says "Always Positive," and it and it reminds me. Yep. There are at the end of the day, you know, I am going to go home and see a beautiful wife and some and two wonderful children. And I have every reason to stay positive, regardless of whether it feels like the walls are falling down. Yeah, but make sure you buy 10 of those because you'll cut it off and set it on fire. I love it. There's that humor coming back. Hey, <laughs> let's jump into a segment I call hot or not. Okay. So we're going to talk. I'm going to just name a country mm -hmm. probably is going to be in Latin America. And then 
you can tell me if it's hot or not. Some have said, you know, mediocre, whatever. But give me a brief explanation for it, not something that's two minutes long. And uh, we'll move on to the next country. Sure. Okay. So we'll start with Peru. Hot. You know, so they, they had a good a good first round a few years ago. Um, I think the next round is going to be more of a South Africa sort of market where where you've got some some much lower pricing than you had in the, in the first round. You got the, the folks that I know are entering that market are, are the same folks that are uh, hyper sophisticated um, and and big. So I think it's going to be a, a successful tender there. Excellent, Chile. Hmm. Lukewarm. Um, you know they're they're resolving some of their their, their transmission issues. Um, some of the 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 the, uh, the the market mechanisms there are, are acting funky. I think you're winding down some of the large projects, but there's still, you know, there, there's, a, there's a sustainable long-term market there, but I, I don't think it's going to be the same, you know, boom, the boom, 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 boom years where you had, you know, everyone, everyone building 200 megawatts next to each other. Um, but you, you're going to have, a, I think, a, a sustainable, um, you know, long-term market there. All right. What about your querido Panama? Uh, you know, uh, Panama is is an interesting place. I think you, you're going to have um, some some additional base load generation come in. I think AES just won uh, a pretty big tender to bring in some some LNG uh, generation. Um, the renewables, both wind and solar, um, are are present from a scalability perspective. You know, it's never going to be a huge market. It's a small country. You know, there's a few million people there. There, there, there's room for a, a, a substantial industrial, maybe rooftop business. There's, there's room for another couple of rounds of, of, of solar tenders. But in terms of, you know, an, an explosive market for the next 20 years, you know, it's going to be there, but it's not going to be a, a, a huge market. Excellent. Similarly, I think your answer might reflect that, uh, that perspective, but I'm going to ask as a region, what about the Caribbean? I don't know, man. Like you're just your your cost of, of land, your 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 wind issues. Um, it's it's uh, you know sure you have a high cost of of, of, of fuel that you're competing against, but just the logistics are, are a pain. And then there's there's no really there's no real way to scale most of those countries. So oh. I, I like I like Cuba though. Um, mm. I think there's there's going to be a big DFI, a big you know development bank role in 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 Cuba as it begins to open up. Um, and as that happens, you know, grid uh, improvement is going to be a big, a big thing. And then, you know, there, there, there's chunks of, of that grid that are sort of not connected to each other where you can bring in, you know, large scale DG uh, and plug into it. Or I think that, that I think I, li- I like Cuba, you know, and it gives me a chance to go to Cuba. I love it. Yeah, I'm thinking the same. Brazil? Uh, Brazil. Um, Brazil is Brazil. Right, so you know, there's there's not much for for me to tell you about Brazil. Um, you know, it's the the tender now looks looks good. They they they've really I think cleaned up some of the mechanisms that 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 were were keeping previous uh, tenders from being very successful and being scalable. Um, so I'm I'm I, I'm again cautious on, on on Brazil because they have a lot of requirements that are sort of outside the norm. Um, but you know, that's that's Brazil. All right. So Brazil is neither hot nor not. It's one of those in-betweens again. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm curious about, and I'm going to be making a trip to Colombia soon. What do you think? Hot or not? Colombia um, is, um, you know what? I don't I, Colombia has like some, some regulatory uh, constraints, right? So in terms of, of you being an IPP and you being able to work in that market um, freely, there's still constraints that I think are, are keeping that market from, from really taking off. Mm. 
but there's some high there's some high tariffs. It's a, it's a, I love Colombia as a country. That it's a, it's a great place to do business in nowadays. Um, so I think once they they t- they tweak some of these these regulatory constraints, you know, the, it'll be golden. Mm, I'm gonna say vacation hot, solar not. Exactly. <laughs> like, like Cuba. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then uh, I've got two more. The next one I really want. To, we didn't get to dig into it on the podcast, but I really want your answer to be uh, your reflection, <laughs> El Salvador. Yeah, no, man. I mean, again, so you, you've got there's there's just there's 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 because the grid is owned by by you know outside bankable um, companies. Um, cool, right? So there, there, there's going to be there's going to be an opportunity to find bankable offtakers because if, if your offtaker is a distribution company or if it's the the, the transmission company and they happen to be uh, you know uh, privatized, great. But what's going to what's going to really you know hurt you there is the political risk to the price into into that market. Um, but again, so if you're doing deals with with these some of these 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 large multinational offtakers that own um, the grid, great. You know, I, I think you'll 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 be successful in it, but but as long as your your investors are able to to withstand the political risk that you're you're assuming in that market. Mm, sounds like a know who to get hot with. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and then last but not exactly least, what it is. It's, it's, <laughs> last but not least, Mexico. I, I'm I can be more bullish, but but I I'm also not going to say hey every originator out there has to run. To Mexico because it's going to be a, a, a big boy market in the next you know five ten years. It absolutely is. I couldn't agree more. Well, Lamberto, that was a fun section. I really appreciate the depth of your answers. Hey, I'm curious if uh, folks wanted to reach out to you, how would they do that? How do we get in touch with Lamberto Camacho? Uh, they can they can email you, and then you can filter those emails to me. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, folks. Are you on Twitter? Or are you in any sort of public profile? Yeah, I'm on. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, yeah, good. So look for look for on LinkedIn. I'm Twitter, but it's, it's kind of a pathetic existence on Twitter. So just and then if you're a developer and you have a project for Lamberto, call me. Yes, call call me. <laughs> uh, he'll pick the good ones for himself, uh, and then and then pass me the the, the leavings. Perfect, <laughs> perfect. I'll, I'll I'll take the project and I'll call Lamberto <laughs> for advice. Bye, right, man. All right. Hey, one more quick question, man, before we leave. Let's end today with a bold prediction. Lamberto, what one thing do you see happening in the market probably nobody else is tracking? What do you see in your crystal ball? Uh, crystal ball, I think the, the, the tender in Mexico is going to slip a lot further down to 2016 than people really really are, are thinking about. Um, and that is that you mean in terms of when it actually happens? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm looking at the timelines and, and sort of what's 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 going to be allowed and not allowed in terms of of speeding up some of these processes. And you know, I, I don't think we'll see. Um, people are saying, oh, this this month, so today, thirty first, we we should have seen, um, you know, the final the final uh, bid rules. And you know, now they're saying, oh, December and. You know, it's it's Mexico, so I think it's going to slip quite a bit to, to, to the right. So I don't I don't think people people are expecting to have it all wrapped up by March. I don't think we'll, we'll we'll begin until March. Wow, that's interesting. Good perspective. Well, thank you, Lamberto, for that and for the copious amounts of value bombs that were dropped today. Anytime, Nico. I appreciate the time, uh, and I, I think your your podcast is great. And I, I appreciate you having me on. Dude, it's so good to have you on. Thanks a lot, and we'll have to do it again for sure. Awesome, awesome. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. Wow, I'm so thrilled you hung in there to the very end of today's conversation, my friend. I'm certain you're taking with you some wonderful tips on how to improve on your game in the coming week. I sure am. 
There were a lot of good tips in there on preparing for the upcoming tenders in the region and aligning your interests with those of your investors. I'll be dropping some of Lamberto's wisdom bombs throughout this Twitter sphere this week, so if you liked the show, please retweet what you heard or what you see me posting. Make sure you're following on Twitter at Nico Mayo, N-I-C-O-M-E-O. And if you did enjoy the show, please consider sharing that love by heading over to iTunes and subscribing. While you're there, consider leaving us a rating and review. The feedback is helpful, so I know what you're looking to get out of the upcoming episodes. If you have a suggestion as well for someone you think should be featured on the show, just head over to www.mysuncast.com and leave me feedback. While you're there, you can check out other episodes and subscribe to our newsletter, where you'll be notified by email each time a new episode of Suncast is ready for download. Hey, it's been amazing hanging out with you again this week. Do tune in again next week for another episode of Suncast. And thanks for listening. Until next time, stay informed, my friend, and stay tuned.